Hi everyone, it's January 6, 2023, the, ver uh, the first week of January. It's a happy new year. Um, yes, I've cut my hair, so hope that your new year and holiday was quite fine. And let's discuss, of course, the U.S. markets. All right, let me share my screen now. So I want to start this year with a preparation of Q1 earnings season 2023. Um, we're going to be looking at a lot of earnings. So a few things to note is that most of the earnings will really start coming Friday, January 13, along with the CPI data yet again. So actually January 6, which is today, it might actually just be um, a, a normal options expiration day. And the big critical ideas that would happen and influence your January month is actually how the earnings of your first week's numbers come out, which are mainly your financials, a few healthcare names, a few airline names. Uh, you're going to be looking at Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley reporting on the 17th, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, BlackRock, Bank of America, JP Morgan on the 13th. You've got financial, uh, so financials, then some healthcare like United Health Group. You've got actually industrial companies such as uh, Lockheed Martin. Raytheon, they're actually going to be reporting also in the first uh, week. And then um, you've got actually some companies in the oil space like Hess Corp and Chevron reporting somewhere in the zone of January 23 to 27. This is uh, Chevron, Jan 27. You've got Hess Corp reporting somewhere here. Here you've got uh, Raytheon Technologies, Boeing Airlines, they'll be reporting. So you've got a slew of uh, big caps also reporting on the January 23 to 27 week. That would be your Tesla. And then you've got Apple and Amazon actually following that. So those are uh, expected to be big movers on that week. Definitely, uh, you will have some healthcare basically moving up or moving down. Uh, in particular, people would be taking a look at how United Health, Johnson & Johnson will report this uh, month. And uh, big ticket items like streaming devices like Netflix could influence how Disney and the rest of uh, the other uh, streaming devices would trade, uh, as well as the advertising, uh, since Netflix went into the advertising tier uh, officially. Okay, so we'll take a look at these types of uh, movements. Uh, since a lot of the recent uh, upcoming earnings that will open the, 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 the January would come from the airlines, I... I was I was gonna feature to you guys actually just check first how the um, how the looks of uh, of these stocks are a few weeks ahead of their earnings. So United Airlines is actually moving up. You're seeing that after six months sleeping from June till about October here at 34, you're actually seeing a higher low, irrespective and actually defying the gravity from the spy. So that is quite a healthy move for United Airlines. We're seeing the same thing in Delta Airlines also moving up. You're also seeing Southwest Airlines, despite all the confusion and fiasco during the holidays, um, you're seeing that it actually is also trading at a higher low. So you're seeing that as of the next um, two weeks or three weeks, the market seems to be trading the airlines with a bullish consensus so far, even without the numbers yet confirming. You've got American Airlines also moving up. So as a whole, the travel sector has been moving up. 
Booking holdings has been also strong, which is also reflective of leisure and travel services. In fact, um, in yesterday's jobs report, one of the key positives that you will see is that while there are massive layoffs in the tech sector, there has been quite some substantial growth in the jobs report for services industry. And we're talking about services, meaning travel and leisure. So it's, it remains to be seen on what the data is, but it looks like the market is bullishly trading with higher lows for some of your reopening names, such as your airlines and a few travel platforms, such as Booking Holdings, which is actually trading at 2140, which is actually an outperformer versus your S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. So your Expedia group is actually still near the new lows, um, but just like what happened with a few airlines like American Airlines, it is trying to uh, also counter trend into a rally. And so we're, we're seeing that, uh, that move, even if it's tiny, to the little upside. Airbnb has also started to trek higher from 80 to 88. So we noticed that there's, of course, massive insider selling here from about 110 to 120. So nonetheless, uh, there's also a huge moving average resistance here at about 110. So, but the sector seems to be all moving up at the same time so far prior to the numbers getting released. Now, um, this week, of course, uh, we're going to have to be evaluating quite a lot of banks and brokerage firms. So far, the brokerage firms, as you can see, have become more like a safe haven. As you can see, it has been quite a pasture of uh, outperformance with the S&P 500 uh, versus the S&P and versus your QQQs. The interactive brokers actually just manages trade within a range. In 2022, with a peak of 80, it fell towards 52, but quickly recovered that over the last three to six months from about May lows of 52 to 55. It briefly went even trying to trade into a 52-week new high here at about 81. And actually, um, although there are some profit taking now at 70, it's still above moving average, which is above 65, which is neutral to bullish for interactive brokers. If you're seeing that there is some bullishness happening in a few financials and a few brokerage firms, it means that there are a lot of people who believe that interactive brokers manage to grow their account basis, even if the entire market actually fell. So it's highly likely that there have been uh, a lot of clients worldwide who have been opening interactive brokers accounts to take advantage of either the drops in the markets um, or participate either in shorting or taking a position on the long side for their long-term accounts. Now, you'll notice also Charles Schwab in general for 2022, although it didn't break out uh, towards their 52-week highs here of $92, it can be said that since May and June, it has recovered over the last six months from a low of 60 towards 83. So far, we aren't sure if this 84 will be temporary or actually break further, but it's going to be a signal uh, where... Uh, so we're actually not going to dictate what would happen. Instead, we're going to be reacting towards the data upon the earnings. So we will see if the earnings of interactive brokers and Charles Schwab is doing well, given that in a high interest rate environment, obviously, even these brokerage firms who have a ton of float in cash are actually benefiting, uh, even as they have been paying interest towards their clients' idle balances. So for those who aren't aware, Interactive Brokers is now paying 3.8% on your idle cash balance as long as it's above $10,000. I'm not aware of Charles Schwab Corporation if they have these types of promotions. 
But it's one of the reasons why a lot of people keep their money in brokerage firms, similar to what they've been doing with the banks. So as I said, a lot of the earnings uh, that would uh, probably dictate this January will come from the banks. You've got um, a whole uh, a whole set, the big four banks like JP Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, all reporting um, on the 13th of January. That will be next Friday. Uh, BlackRock, which is a major mutual fund in the world, is also going to be reporting. Bank of New York Mellon, First Republic Bank. So not only the big banks, but also the small banks. And then, of course, the biggest holding in the Dow Jones, which is United Health Group. One of the biggest airlines in the U.S., top four, which is Delta Airlines, uh, if not top one. So that would be an interesting thing, given that there is a strong recovery in 2022. So we'll see if that would be a major beat uh, within the sector. So you'll notice that the growth expectation for Delta Airlines is as high as 30% in terms of revenue growth, uh, whereas the banks are expected to report somewhere within the 6%, 10%. Citigroup is expected to be down 5%, United Health up 11 For Wells Fargo, due to their mortgage loan losses, um, it's actually expected to decline 8%. BlockRock, there's an expectation that it could drop 17% in terms of revenue. And very mild growth for Bank of New York Mellon and First Republic Bank, which is just 1% to 4%. So you're seeing that in general, the market expectations for the banks are relatively low. And it's actually more on the airline space or the travel leisure space that the markets is actually um, um, more bullish upon. Nonetheless, uh, let's take a look at the setups here. United Health Group is actually the largest in the Dow Jones component. And noticing the chart of United Health Group after a very strong outperformance over the entire year of 2022, it seems that it has just recently broken its first sign of support here at $500. And that is a massive breakdown, if you'll notice, for United Health Group. So just in case that their earnings actually fall short of expectations, this may actually falter down and trigger a massive healthcare-related decline. So just watch out for United Health Group. Prior to the numbers, it's going to be coming out on January 13, but it doesn't look good already from just the chart per se of United Health. Now, United Health Group has been dropping these uh, these last few days, and it's been actually triggering some sell-offs happening in the entire healthcare space, uh, including CVS Health, Elevance Health, Cigna Corporation, Humana. So, healthcare will actually be a huge judgment day for uh, for the markets. And what you're seeing actually from these types of trades is to see that CVS Health, if it's actually going to deteriorate, looking at the charts of these healthcare after strong outperformance, it seems as if they're also weighing down the indices. So uh, knowing that healthcare is actually quite a big component of SPY, a breakdown of the healthcare names can actually trigger massive sell-offs on your SPY uh, S&P index. And so take note also that the Dow Jones, which is... Um, uh, an, an ETF composite that composes of your healthcare like United Health. Uh, right now, it's actually teetering. Uh, over the last 12 to 13 days, it's just been sleeping between 326 to 334. Uh, uh, a strong catalyst on the downside for any earnings of any healthcare names, in particular United Health, could trigger Dow Jones to actually break this 326 and break that moving average downwards towards a fast cliff dive towards 317 or even as low as 290, which was actually the October 2022 lows. So watch out because we're actually um, 
this earnings is going to be quite uh, an eventful impacting day. And it's important that you're actually uh, watching which will be the sectors that would break. Okay, um, let's take a look on a few things. As the financials are, of course, going to report, which is XLF. So far, XLF has triggered quite a huge rally. This was a, this was a 30% rally from as low as $30. Uh, well, not all stocks went 30%, but as a group for XLF, this is 20% up. Some financials managed to rally 35% up, such as Goldman Sachs. Take a look at these financials. Let's take a look at each of them. So they'll be all reporting. The big, uh, the big banks are reporting within the next week. So you've got Goldman Sachs rallying straight from 300, low than, lower than 300, back to near 400, and then consolidated back in the midpoint. Here about 343, whether it's going to continue the downtrend or actually negate that and reverse to the upside, all depending on earnings, we will be watching that. So, so far, the market seems to be in a wait-and-see attitude. Even for next week, the market seems to be still on a wait-and-see attitude for your financials. So we don't really expect the SPY to actually move much in anticipation for what the numbers will be. So um, this is your GS. This is your Morgan Stanley. Let's take a look at them as well. Also consolidating here after a quick drop from about 94 to as low as 84, but still a 50% um, movement, um, still in the 50% Fibonacci from the lows of 74, which registered on October and actually on June. So your financials are, are actually in the neutral point right now. You've got Bank of America reporting. So let's take a look at that. Bank of America is actually the same thing. So in general, all the banks are in the middle side, wherein it could either break out or, or continue the downtrend. So it's all about watching the data, but what would happen with the financials will largely uh, indicate whether the SPY itself is going to rally on the upside or on the downside because the banks are composing about 14% of your entire S&P 500. And with them reporting on your first week uh, of January 13 till about January um, 16, that's going to be a quite uh, a huge mover in terms of your S&P 500, the financials. So Bank of America, it's still in the neutral zone. Uh, of course, the easier the easier move is to short it if it's still back here at the resistance. So um, so far, the market is at the middle side. Here's your Wells Fargo, also at the middle side, here at about 42 after rallying towards 48. So there was a give back of some of the profits after it made a huge rally from 40. You've got um, so Bank of America, JP Morgan. Wells Fargo, you've got, um, in general, the financials are in the middle zone right now. Okay, so BlackRock is actually still in the upper end of resistance. So there might be some people who are quite bearish with the BlackRock since it's actually near resistance and hasn't pulled back significantly yet. So some who are bearish are shorting it at 800 here, 770 and 700s here. As mutual funds are are expected to have some revenue decline uh, coming into this year. So you're seeing that actually BlackRock uh, managed to rally and rebound from 500 back to 700. That is a 40% move. And there might be some people who are still looking to short uh, after uh, after that blistering move since, uh, since October. Okay, so um, let's take a look further. Um, yeah. 
of course, the banks will, of course, exhibit a lot of the health of the consumers. So uh, anticipating is not our cup of tea. What we would like to do is actually watch for the signs on whether the financials are showing a healthy U.S. consumer or whether the consumers in the U.S. are actually already having a hard time paying their mortgages, are they defaulting on their loans, and so on. So we beg to wait for the data before actually building a position either on the short side or on the long side. So we're actually still on the watch for now. Um, as you can see, um, even if the financials have been trimming some of those gains, those are paltry. So that's just like down 0.2%. I, I, I believe that you will see your financials basically trade in the unchanged zone, uh, in particular for a week until next Friday when you really have clarity on how well the financials are performing with a high interest rate environment. Um, because it's highly possible, as, more, uh, as, as most people have opined, that most of the mortgages in U.S. are actually fixed and therefore a higher interest rate environment does not necessarily mean that they're not able to pay their, um, their housing mortgage uh, payments for that month. Okay, so um, another thing that we would be watching out for would be a few consumer staples that are all also going to be on the first two weeks reporting. Boston Beer is actually one, uh, one company in particular. And you'll notice that every time on earnings, it usually gets a gap up. With, well, if not gap up, it's a bullish engulfing usually um, uh, after the numbers are released. So this is a huge volume to the upside at 324 rallying back towards 400. Same thing here. Um, after three months, you've got the November, another surge from about 320 back to 420. So we don't know what exactly would be Boston Beer's reports here, but it, it's highly likely that despite the recession, we've been seeing that beverage companies and beer-related names, such as Boston Beer, the owner of Sam Beer, um, the owner of a lot of seltzer brands, um, Alka-Seltzer brands, alcohol pop, uh, would actually, in, in my view, uh, still actually be able to outperform in a, in a recession. And it's actually been trading within quite a predictable range. So the, the, the movement here seems to suggest that Boston Beer is actually more of a buying entry here at about 300 areas. So we'll see whether the data confirms, but um, the bias on the charts are saying that there's quite a bullish uh, movement for Boston Beer every earnings season. Um, but uh, for Domino's Pizza, however, which is also going to be reporting soon, uh, we have always seen that Domino's Pizza um, has been trading within a range. You're noticing that Domino's Pizza near 410 has been um, having difficulty with labor and a lot of the inflation. That's what their story in 2022 was. We'll see whether 2023, if things will change, uh, although I, I suggest that there may be no significant changes. As you can see that every time it needs to, every time it hits 400, there seems to be a lot of selling pressure towards the fast food related items. And this is evident not just in Domino's Pizza, but even uh, towards your McDonald's. So we actually are a little slightly bearish on um, fast food names heading into the earnings, but it looks like Domino's Pizza was actually sold off already before the numbers even came out. So you're, you're seeing actually that since 380 and 390 here, it's gotten sold off back to 338. So um, it's already below moving averages, suggesting that the market is 
on, on a consensus bearish case for a lot of these fast foods and restaurant uh, related names. Um, although Procter & Gamble is actually above moving average, um, I am actually a little bit skeptic here at about $150 to $155. So um, prior to the numbers getting released, uh, I do think that uh, there's quite limited downside if we're doing a bearish option spread here for Procter & Gamble. The yield that you will pay is roughly less than 1%, so um, 1% to 2% yield for, uh, for out-of-the-money put options or at-the-money put options for Procter & Gamble at about $152 or $150 strikes. So I'm, I'm actually uh, positioned uh, on, a, on a bearish spread for Procter & Gamble prior to the numbers uh, this next few weeks. McCormick & Company, which is also a stable uh, consumer staple sp uh, spice company, has actually been showing some relative weakness. If you'll notice, it has dropped from 104 to as low as $70. Although it has rallied from 70 back to 84, it seems like it's still below the moving averages, still below 90. And uh, um, so my assumption is that although people will definitely be paying for consumer staples, um, what we've noticed is that their expensive pricing is the, it's actually more of a valuation given that even their sales are also struggling with just like 4 to 5% growth. So we'll see if the data confirms. But um, rallies for the staples are, in my view, a short-term, um, uh, a, a small risk uh, to, to be short upon. Now for Netflix, we won't be uh, trading this prior to numbers, but we've noticed that um, for the last three quarters, if you'll notice, Netflix has been obviously rallying from 160 to 200 here. Then based, uh, it made another base from 200 to 240, and recently the base is 240 to 330. So that is already a 100% move over the last six months, all because of the Netflix ad tier program. We'll see whether they can continue to um, excite the market with their ad tier program, or will they actually succumb after rallying 100% over the last six months? So you've got, of course, a lot of gaps here at about 380 to 400. Um, it can still uh, rally, but my, my guess is that the only way for it to actually break 330 is if the numbers really stand out. Uh, that would be quite bullish for your technology firms, given that a lot of your fangs are teetering to new lows. Netflix is trading at these levels at about 30 times multiple. So I'm a skeptic. Um, I'm more of the thinking that it could actually fail. And I wouldn't actually bet before. Uh, but uh, there are completely um, strong signals to short if this one breaks below 280, obviously. So um, I'll, I'll wait because usually numbers for Netflix uh, tend to be exaggerated, either to the upside or to the downside. So here, this was actually from 240 and then gapping up about, I think, more than 10% within a day. So it's not, uh, it's not impossible to see um, Netflix uh, go from 300 to 330 or 360 or uh, either way, it breaks below 280 and collapses. So it all depends on execution. We'll see um, how Netflix is um, going to be uh, reacting upon the first, uh, first week of the year. Uh, a few things that I would be quite um, bullish upon has been precious metals. We did actually explain this in our Awesome 10X members. We discussed this one, which is continuation of commodity super cycle 
I discussed this on January 3. I've uh, I've done some deep dives on Newmont Corporation, Barrett Gold, Franco Nevada, GDX Gold Miners, a few uh, commodities that are in copper, iron, steel, uh, nickel, which is uh, Rio, BHP, Vale, and Tech. Uh, I won't begin to explain to you why uh, why the fundamentals of those names, I believe, are bullish and the technicals are also bullish, except that, um, yes, we are... Um, we are uh, quite positive on the basic materials, in particular, a few commodities such as gold, silver, as aside from oil, of course. So um, on the biggest uh, names here, you've got Newmont Corp, Franco Nevada, Bart Gold. So we're actually featuring mostly the top ones. But I think what would be more important is that in the next two weeks, you've got even the small cap companies like Sandstorm Gold reporting numbers. So um, in December 21, Sandstorm Gold unveiled their very first quarterly cash dividend of two cents Canadian for all the shareholders on the record as of January 17. Sandstorm Gold, as you'll notice from the chart, this is a monthly chart of Sandstorm Gold. It has been actually consolidating um, and um, right now it has actually bounced from the previous resistances of 4.8 and now it's become support. So it looks like gold is in an entry point, uh, been giving some monthly signals on the upside. And more importantly, we've noticed that the net income of many gold miners have started to be um, on high, uh, either yearly highs or pretty much a very strong revenue growth. So for instance, for Sandstorm Gold, they've got a record revenue here and uh, a record gold equivalent ounces. Cash flows have been pretty strong such that they are paying dividends. So um, a few things, highlights for Sandstorm Gold royalties. Uh, record revenue of about 39 million, gold equivalent of 22,600 ounces. Cash flows from operations, excluding non-cash working capital, is about $30 million. It's up from $20 million. Average cash cost per attributable gold is about $323 in cash margins of $1,383 per ounce and uh, $238 per ounce and $1,541 per ounce, respectively. So um, you've got a huge net income for that quarter. Um, and for those who aren't aware, well, Sandstorm Gold is a very small company and they're not really a gold miner. What they are is basically um, an investor of gold mines. So they're more of a royalty company or uh, similar to a REIT, as, as you would think. Um, it's, uh, it's for companies that want to have exposure in gold and yet um, they don't want the risks of mining. So they hold a portfolio of 250 royalties on mines around the world. They don't operate the mines, so um, they're, they're simply actually providing stable cash flow and exploration upside than other. Um, yeah, so this is how it works. So similar to music royalties, gold royalty is simply a contract given to an owner, rights to a portion of the final product. This can be a percentage of revenue or the actual gold production called a stream. Gold royalty companies pay an upfront sum for royalty rights and they use these contracts to finance the mining companies in need of capital. So they basically lend money to gold miners and it, it, it actually benefits from getting the upside of these gold mining uh, miners by getting a percentage of that revenue. Since royalties would typically cover the life of a mine, gold royalty companies benefit from the exploration upside, extending the life of the mine, increasing the amount of revenue they receive from the mine at no additional cost. 
So recently, Sandstorm completed a $1.1 billion in transformative acquisitions. The market cap of Sandstorm today is $1.7 billion. Um, they've got these types of royalty companies, 20 streams and royalties here for precious metals and base core royalty package, another 10 streams and royalties to add into their high-quality asset with an exposure to the third largest world copper mine. So um, with more royalty streams, they are uh, getting a production for 2022 to 2026 above the last six years, which is about 80 to 100 to as high as 150 ounce, 150,000 ounces to, uh, to have higher cash flows for the next coming years, which means that uh, they are expecting to get some record cash flows as well with higher production, somewhere between $128 million to as high as $180 million dollars composing largely of gold, a little bit of silver, and a little bit of copper. They estimated that even when gold uh, prices with an assumption of gold at 1700 silver at 20 copper at 375 uh, I'm sure you're aware that gold is currently at about $1,800, $1,840. Silver is about $22, $23. Copper is not yet hitting four, but it's somewhere at about $3.84 and has been creeping up as well with the reopening of a lot of Chinese manufacturing activity. So in general, your precious metals focused uh, for sandstorm gold is relatively intensity uh, on the gold, but a little bit on silver as well and some copper. So these are the principal assets uh, wherein they get all those um, gold royalties. Uh, a couple of names that would uh, actually be interesting in terms of catalysts on where the S&P is headed uh, is also Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson, just like PNG, has been a stable dividend name. Um, it has been well-loved, but that well uh, that, that love has actually translated in also very high PE multiples. And so we're seeing actually some triple tops forming for Johnson & Johnson at about $180. So we'll see whether this actually breaks out. Uh, are the earnings going to do well or is it actually going to falter? And go below their mean, uh, which has uh, which has habitually been in a range from about 180 to as low as 160 dollars for Johnson and Johnson, being treated more like a bond rather than a stock. Well, it is a stock, but uh, it's mostly been treated as a bond. As you'll notice, Johnson and Johnson in 2017 till 2020 also traded between 150 to 130. So these stocks tend to actually trade within a 20 to 30 dollar predictable range. Uh, and it seems to me that Johnson & Johnson here at 180 is more likely to hit near 150s rather than breaking out towards 210. Um, Verizon Communication, another uh, telecommunication that's uh, also going to be reporting pretty soon. Um, these are your first uh, first uh, weekly, first week or two week uh, uh, earnings uh, related decisions. And you're seeing actually the market has been picking up all these dividend yield plays if they're down, so Verizon Communications is actually rallying from 36 lows in September, October to as high as 41. It hasn't rallied yet towards 44, but it seems like if it's oversold, it's been picked up by the market prior to the earnings. Another company which is in the oil and gas space, this one is uh, reporting. Uh, this is an oil and gas equipment service company. You'll notice like all oil and gas names. They have rallied pretty strongly. You can see that Halliburton went from $10 to near $40. It might actually track towards 52-week new highs and uh, break above. We'll see whether Halliburton actually uh, is in a positive trend for their earnings. Will it be sustained? But this one is actually trading in a bullish to neutral bullish manner. 
Intuitive surgical is a is a name in the medical tech space, uh, robotic surgeries, generally speaking. Uh, this has been in a very volatile movement from a high of 360 to a low of 195. Recently rallied towards $300, but I'm, bit, I'm a bit skeptic on some healthcare names with United Health starting to fall, CVS and Humana starting to fall. It looks like ISRG with these types of uh, charts and multiples could actually be susceptible for a drop. I know that a lot of people seem to be bullish in healthcare, but the charts doesn't seem to actually uh, agree upon with that bullishness. So we'll see. Uh, I, will, I will be, of course, neutral first until the earnings are confirmed. But bias looks to be for ISRG near 300 to be more of a short rather than a long. Lockheed Martin, so in general, all the defense are also going to be reporting uh, starting this January. You've got Lockheed Martin, obviously a beneficiary in a, in a strong uh, possibility of further defense spending and war. So far, this has been quite an outperformer the entire 2022, and it's been uh, trading near the all-time highs. Looks like the market is bullishly um, noting that Lockheed Martin will continue to trade at all-time highs for 2023. Uh, Northrop Grumman, same thing. Um, as you can see, all these defense spending for 2022 continues to trade at an all-time high. Um, I think Biden just added uh, $45 billion of extra spending uh, for Ukraine uh, to battle it out with Russia. You're seeing that that has been beneficial for fighter pilot engines. And, uh, and companies in that defense zone, which is Northrop Grumman, um, Raytheon Technologies, Lockheed Martin, um, Boeing Company. So these are actually um, bullish. Uh, you can see that the defense spending as a whole sector has been um, bullish. And this has been um, counteracting any negative news on other uh, S&P 500 constituents. So I would say that the S&P 500 is going to be reliant on a lot of names. As you can see, defense has been holding it up pretty well. So far, the healthcare has held, but um, it is susceptible for some drops. The banks are neutral, mildly bullish. It could be positive. It could be negative. We'll see how it does. But generally, because healthcare, financials, defense spending, aka industrials are pretty big in the index, they're actually, as a group, if the three of them, if you combine it, that's about more than uh, 40%. That's actually double your um, S&P 500 tech index uh, weighting. So it's going to actually be able to, uh, if they're strong, they can actually make the SPY go up from 3.8 towards 3.9 or 4,000 and trigger further short covering rally. But if any of them fail then it's going to trigger a big slide before uh, before the, the quarter ends. Um, we've got, we, we will see some bigger slides. So we'll see. Energy names have held up pretty well. You've got Hess Corporation reporting, and uh, it looks like the market's consensus is a bullish front on the upside. So energy as a sector, I think you can expect them to still deliver a pretty good numbers. So even without the earnings yet, the market has been just holding on to bullish uh, spreads for energy names like Hess Corporation and Chevron. These are going to be reporting pretty soon, and um, they would actually dictate how your XLE and a lot of your energy names, whether it be Devon, Occidental, Fang, um, will be uh, doing. So you can see that they're all actually quite bullish in terms of oil and gas exploration. Now, another uh, thing is that it's obvious that Tesla and uh, is, is, is hammered down to an oversold level here. 
However, at 110, it's fighting for its life. Either it goes to $90 or it rallies towards 120. Um, there's still a significant uh, there's still a significant volume that uh, needs to be digested. Either it consolidates before the numbers. Uh, Tesla will begin to show uh, their numbers on January 25. But so far, after missing on the deliveries and showing that they are giving price discounts in China, uh, it, it remains to be quite um, a, a ball game wherein the Tesla bulls uh, seem to be getting overpowered more by the bears. And at most, even if Tesla will try to make a dead cat bounce, it seems like it has to break above 125 forcefully to even have a shot towards 135 to 160. So, so far, we haven't really seen any bullishness in Tesla, and it seems like all the technology firms are roiling down. You've got ServiceNow uh, cutting 10% of their workforce, and it's still also in a new low space. So, in general, the market has been bearish on tech, and it seems like this is dragging the S&P 500 to the downside further and further more. So, we can see that in the S&P weightings, financial services are about 14%. Healthcare is about 15%. Some of your consumer defensives like J&J, your PNG, that's about 7% of your market. A few of your communications like Verizon would be 7%. Energy would be 5%. So this tells you that even if Hess Corporation and Chevron do well, since it's still small versus the entire S&P weighting, uh, energy names, even if they deliver a blockbuster number, cannot actually save the SPY, not unless the financials and the healthcare actually make a big run up. Same for your industrials. Industrials are just 8% of the index. So even if the entire uh, spending for defense continues to the upside, which has been happening, energy and industrials have been going up. You can see that Chevron's chart and... Um, Lockheed Martin, for instance, have been just in a general uptrend, which is an outperformer for your SPY. It remains to be seen on whether that is enough to actually um, stop the bleeding of your tech names, which are still um, in peril because it looks like Tesla, ServiceNow, even your Apples are still in a very uh, volatile area, which is still susceptible to thin, thin ice and can still trade to new lows. So um, since you've got a lot of things happening also on CPI day on January 13, definitely it's going to be a very volatile day. It's going to be a very volatile week. And that ends my presentation, guys. Um, I hope that I helped you uh, prepare for your earnings season. Um, personally, I think that uh, you don't have to bet yet. Um, it's important that you have an idea of what companies will be um, the biggest weights in the sector. Definitely, there are a lot of speculation that the banks could actually disappoint. Um, at the same time, there are also people who believe that they're actually going to represent health of the consumers, uh, given that a lot of uh, Americans still have uh, savings that they did during the COVID pandemic, which is about two to three, two years ago. They they saved uh, in, in, in anticipation that they could actually get sick or they could lose a job, et cetera. So there has been ample savings uh, saved by a lot of Americans during the COVID um, that is preparing them for the very high inflation in 2022 and still to persist in 2023. 
Um, that has made the S&P 500 generally stable at about 3.8. It hasn't yet fallen down towards the 3.5 or 3,000 arena. So before we actually go super bearish, let's first watch on whether the data confirms. Because it's highly likely that uh, if the consumers are healthy um, uh, and you can see if they're very bullish on leisure, um, they're able to spend still on a few consumer discretionary, there might... Uh, when I say a few consumer discretionary, I'm talking about travel services um, such as booking. Um, if booking, Expedia, if uh, if the travel sector like Delta Airlines and United Airlines actually trade to the upside, highly likely that um, a lot of your consumer sectors related to travel and reopening will still trade to the upside. Um, so we will be watching that because it will give you uh, a little bit of a sign on whether Airbnb here about 80 to 85, 88 is actually being picked up for another 20% rally before the numbers come out. So it's important to actually be neutral ahead of the earnings. So um, that's how I will play this uh, market. Watch for the numbers, but um, also give uh, take a clue from what these numbers really indicate about the health of the American consumers. Okay, thank you very much and have a happy new year. See you guys again next week for another awesome 10X Free Friday class. Bye-bye.